there. <laughs> um, so yeah, when you come to a new place, there's always new technologies to learn <clears throat> and uh, adjust to. So following weeks uh, of anticipation, it's uh, good to finally be together. And I appreciate so much your kind uh, invitation and your warm welcome already. It's been uh, wonderful to meet many of you and to uh, get to know you. <clears throat> and certainly, uh, it's been a sense of which God has led in this. I've uh, not been doing this for a few months, and so I uh, just wondered what the Lord had in mind. And so here we are at it uh, again at this uh, interesting stage in my life. And uh, someone has uh, asked, you know, <clears throat> how do you feel about doing this? And uh, why, would you, why would you do this, right? Well, it's because I have certain values in my life, and one of those values, of course, is uh, family. I, family means a lot to me, but, but uh, you know, what means a lot to me is uh, Jesus and his church and his plan and purpose for the, for the world. And uh, I, I am so excited to be a part of what he's doing. I count it a great privilege to identify myself as one of his and to be his follower and to uh, serve him as I am in these days. And uh, so, <clears throat> uh, you know, uh, I'm, uh, as you can tell, a little further along in life. And, uh, you know, that can be a good thing, maybe not always a good thing, <laughs> but lots of pluses about that. <clears throat> anyway, I really look forward to meeting many of you. I have had a little bit of a handicap that I need to tell you about up front. As the fact that one of my ears doesn't work too well. <laughs> and so I have to listen pretty closely a lot of times, especially in a group situation. So just so you know that uh, I'm working at getting it uh, corrected, but <clears throat> haven't done that just yet. So in regard to, uh, you know, transition ministry, there's much that I could share with you about my role in that. But essentially it means <clears throat> that I'm working with you. <clears throat> Uh, let's see, as a, um, as a transition pastor during this time, I'm, I'm working with you as a pastor, uh, so that you can ultimately make an informed choice about your next pastor. <clears throat> as we often say in this kind of work, healthy church, healthy search. So in many ways, I hope that during this time, it's a time of spiritual renewal for the church, resulting in <clears throat> an anticipation of what God wants to do in a new way and the calling of a, uh, an appropriate pastor. Uh, living as we do in Calgary, <clears throat> it's not possible for me to do this work as a resident pastor. Uh, my wife isn't with me uh, today. Occasionally, she'll join me. In a moment, I'll uh, introduce you to her as far as a photo is concerned, at least. But my MO, or my pattern in doing this kind of work over the past number of years, has, to be, has been to be on site for about 10 days or so each month, and then to work with your existing board and staff, Pastor Brett and Tracy, <clears throat> to manage ministry uh, from home. One reality of serving in this role is that I'm never a candidate for actually being your long-term resident pastor. 
<clears throat> this means that I can work with you, hopefully in a more objective way, that is a kind of an arm's length kind of way, uh, meaning I can talk more straightforwardly with you about issues concerning the church. I have no stakes in the outcome of our time together. My plan is to work with your elders board to evaluate and to ask harder questions and to get to the issues that are important in order to have the spiritual health that you desire, if possible, before your next pastor comes. As time goes on, uh, through the services and personal interaction that I have with many of you, uh, we'll get to know one another, hopefully better. I, have, I spent, especially in my first uh, time, first few weeks and, and so on with the church, I try to do a lot of listening. <clears throat> and uh, the more I can meet people and hear a little of their story, uh, the, the better I like it. You know, uh, one of the things that makes this work so interesting is to meet so many different kinds of people. And uh, I've discovered that God really, really loves people. And it, to me, I'm fascinated by getting to know people. People are so interesting, aren't they? Have you found that? Uh, and that's, that's vital and foundational to what the church is all about, is to, to sense that God really, really loves people and he cares deeply about them and he's interested in their, in their lives. Well, <clears throat> my own story, very briefly, is that I grew up on a farm in central Manitoba, a place called Asher. Nobody's ever heard of it except Brooke, I hear, uh, and, and maybe others of you. But And uh, it, then eventually we moved on to the lower mainland of B.C. Uh, and into Vancouver, in fact, the last time I remember being through this area was as, a, as an 11-year-old, actually, <clears throat> staying with a family in Coaldale that was connected to a Mennonite Brethren Church because we had a Mennonite Brethren pastor in our little town. It wasn't a Mennonite church, Mennonite community. I'm not Mennonite. I'm more German. But in any case... God used these people for my family to become believers. My mother's family, actually, and then my father eventually, and then my three brothers and myself. <clears throat> Came to know the Lord through that ministry in central Manitoba. So that's the last time I was through this area. I haven't been through, back here since those early years in my life. So it's interesting to be back. Our family lived in Chilliwack for a time before moving on to Vancouver, where my dad found work. And it was during those years in Chilliwack that we became part of an Alliance Church congregation. And eventually I went to our Bible college in Regina, where I also met and married a wonderful lady, my wife, Carolyn Anderson of Moose Jaw, uh, Saskatchewan. And after my first year of Bible college, I attended university in Regina, uh, having begun at UBC originally, but because the college was starting a seminary program, from and I graduated from that seminary in 1972. That's a long time ago. My first pastoral assignment was an assistant or youth pastor at a church in Regina, and then uh, a, as a pastor in North Battleford, Saskatchewan, where also our four children were born. 
And eight years after that, we were in Saskatoon for a relatively brief time. And then we ended up in Prince George, where we pastored an Alliance Church for almost 20 years, while my wife Carolyn served as a public school teacher. And uh, those were uh, great years there in that church. But during the last almost 16 years since that time, I have been involved in pastoral transition work with churches all over Western Canada, from Fort McMurray to Cranbrook, from Trail to Kitimat and Saskatoon, and more recently in Innisfail, and uh, most recently at the Prairie Tabernacle Church in uh, Three Hills, Alberta. Uh, while I was finishing up at um, Lakewood Alliance Church in Prince George, I did some further study uh, in pastoral ministry at uh, Trinity, Trinity Western to begin with, and then eventually Trinity International University um, in uh, Chicago that uh, you would be familiar with. And um, yeah, that was a wonderful time uh, in, in our lives. But in 2020, after 36 years in Prince George, the Lord made it clear that it was time for us to move closer to our family in Alberta. Two of our children uh, and their families now live in Calgary, and we have another in Edmonton, and we also have a daughter and her family living in Maple Ridge, B.C. And between them all, we have uh, 11 beautiful grandchildren who are much on our hearts and minds uh, in these days. And for the first time in years, we were all able to get together a few days after Christmas this year. I don't know if we have this picture or not, but uh, yeah, there we are. <clears throat> uh, all 21 of us, my wife and myself in the center, uh, my oldest daughter on the right and her four children, and then uh, my um, son and his wife are on my wife's uh, right, <clears throat> so your left, and then further is our daughter in blue, Leanne, and her husband and two children, and uh, then our youngest is in this next to me there, uh, Heidi and uh, Nathan and their three children. So uh, yeah, it's a it's a really really uh, wonderful experience to have these and to have them all together uh, for a brief time this Christmas. Uh, so, <clears throat> I want to speak to you this morning about uh, something that uh, is often on my heart as I begin a series of, uh, of services with a church in transition, and uh, these messages are foundational to the Christian faith and to what the church is really all about, and I think we have to, you know, come back to that often in our lives and in a transition time like this, uh, it's really important that we get back to some really basic aspects of what faith in Christ is really all about. So I want to um, begin with a uh, very special chapter in the Bible that helps us with a big picture, Isaiah chapter 40. Of course, Isaiah, as you know, is a Bible book rich in allusions to the nature of the gospel and God's plan for his people. The book is one of the most amazing expressions of God's heart 
through this great prophet, Isaiah, who lived 700 years approximately before the birth of Christ. Let me just pray as we begin. Father, I just want to, at the very outset, um, commit not only this time, but this service and this message to you. I thank you so much for your word, for making it possible for us to have it as we do, to be able to open our hearts and minds to it, and to see it change us as your spirit uses it in our lives. I pray, Lord, that you would take these words from Isaiah 40 this morning, implant them deeply upon our hearts, help us to understand the significance of them for us personally. I pray in Jesus' name, amen. Well, this particular chapter, I think, speaks powerfully to us about the importance of perspective, about gaining a larger view of what's happening in our lives, especially in the midst of change. You know, one of the reasons problems become problems in our personal lives and our way becomes confused, I think, is that we easily lose a sense of perspective. Typically, we tend to become so focused on the problems before us that we miss seeing the larger picture. Or we sometimes say, we miss the forest for the trees, right? Sometimes we need to step back to see the big picture, to get that 30,000-foot view, as they say. We need to come to the place where we see our lives and situations from above, or more importantly, from heaven's perspective. I don't know about you, but I've always been a lover of maps and geography and now GPS. I find I constantly need to know where I am in relation to the bigger picture. And this is especially important when you're trying to navigate new territory, finding your way in a new town or city or province. A a GPS makes all the difference in helping us find our way. It's amazing how dependent, reliant we are upon those instruments these days. And thank God for that kind of technology. But another application of what I'm talking about, maybe even in raising a young family, for example, it's so easy to get sort of so focused on all the problems and issues that you fail to see the larger picture. Sometimes you have to step back. This last week, uh, two little ones were in our house for all the whole week, age six and four, and uh, their mother. And uh, I had a new appreciation for what it means to raise kids these days. I tell you, it's a big challenge. And I, I hand it to those of you who are young parents, having young children, trying to manage their lives. It's a huge, huge challenge. But uh, to keep the big picture in mind is so important, what you're trying to do. Well, I think Isaiah 40 gives us that kind of opportunity. It's a wonderful way of trying to see the picture from above, what life and the world is all about, about God's ways in our lives a reminder of the greatness of the God we serve. And some has figured out that Isaiah is really like a miniature Bible. You probably know that the Bible didn't come with chapter and verse divisions as we have them today. In uh, 
uh, it actually didn't happen until 1227 when the Archbishop of Canterbury, a guy named Stephen Langton, divided the books of the Bible into chapters. The first divisions came later, 1488 for the Old Testament and 1555 for the New Testament, apparently. Anyway, I'm not sure what Langton was thinking when he came to Isaiah, but it turns out that Isaiah, with his 66 books, is something like the Bible in miniature. The first 39 chapters are like the 39 books of the Old Testament that focus on the failures of God's people to live by his law. But the last 27 chapters of Isaiah are like the New Testament that reveals the wonder of God's grace in Jesus Christ. And Isaiah 40 is the turning point. So I can't think of a better place to focus our attention today than on Isaiah 40 because uh, it provides a perspective in an otherwise confusing world. It's all about the glory of God. The, the world's, we begin with verses 1 to 5 in which we read about the world's need for God's glory. So it, it begins with wonderful words of comfort. If you have your Bibles, uh, please look at this, these uh, words with me. But it doesn't ignore the importance of calling sin, sin, and truth, truth. Let me read these verses. I'm reading from the New International Version. Comfort, comfort my people, says your God. Speak tenderly to Jerusalem and proclaim to her that her hard service has been completed, that her sin has been paid for, that she has received from the Lord's hand double for all her sins. A voice of one calling in the wilderness, prepare the way of the Lord, make straight in the desert a highway for our God. Every valley shall be raised up, every mountain and hill made low. The rough ground shall become level, the rugged places a plain, and the glory of the Lord will be revealed, and all people will see it together, for the mouth of the Lord has spoken. Well, these words, of course, are a prophetic description of the ministry, especially there, of John the Baptist. And you notice the parallel between the words here and those that we see in the first part of the Gospels, particularly the third chapter of Matthew, for example. And it's difficult for us to imagine how huge an impact a man like John the Baptist had on the nation of Israel in his time. Here was this man, clothed like a wild man, but preaching a gospel of repentance in preparation for the coming of the kingdom, for the coming of Jesus. And throughout the history of the church, God has raised up these kinds of people to call the nations back to God. And in many ways... This is the kind of ministry to which God has called his church today to be the voice of one calling out in the desert to prepare the way of the Lord. There is a sense in which the church today, just as John the Baptist in his time, is called to prepare the way for Christ coming again by calling people to repentance. And if you're a Christian there's a sense in which God has this in mind for you and for me. And that's what he desires of the church or any local church, just like this one, in the midst of the moral desert of our times, which it seems is greater than ever. God has in mind for believers to go out like John the Baptist to prepare 
the way of the Lord, pointing people to Jesus, who alone can bring change that reveals the wonder of God's glory. But that glory is revealed in a number of amazing ways, as we see here in Isaiah 40. Interestingly, especially through his word. For it says in verse 6, A voice says, Cry out. And I said, What shall I cry? All peoples are like grass, and all their faithfulness is like the flowers of the field. The grass withers and the flowers fall, because the breath of the Lord blows on on them. Surely the people are grass. The grass withers and the flowers fall. But the word of our God endures forever. You know, the older I grow, the more it is evident that no matter how great someone is, it really isn't long before they're gone. Just as the grass withers and the landscape changes, I'm always amazed by this. Family figures, political and cultural leaders of one kind or another, even Christian and church leaders, many who I used to look up to, are now fading or gone altogether. We need to keep this perspective in life. And the older you grow, you really, really begin to to appreciate this, that no matter how large someone seems, they're going to pass on. And so it'll be for each of us. But God's word remains. God's truth stands strong in the midst of all the changes and fading glories of man. The word of the Lord has a glory, in fact, that gets brighter and brighter all the time. And that's why the Bible continues to be the best-selling book in the whole world. I've heard that over 100 million copies are sold each year. The Bible means everything to us because it is the foundation of what the Christian life and the work of the church is all about. There's a song I, I remember from childhood that many of you might remember as well. The Bible stands... Though the hills may tumble, remember that? It will firmly stand. When the earth shall crumble, I will plant my feet on its firm foundation for the Bible stands. Remember that? You remember that? Oh, that's new to you? Maybe we should learn it together. (laughs) Well, that's something to remember. Uh, But there's another glory. The glory of God's Son uh, is, is the extension of what his word is all about. And we read about this in verses 9 to 11. You who bring good news to Zion, go up on a high mountain. You who bring good news to Jerusalem, lift up your voice with a shout. Lift it up. Do not be afraid. Say to the towns of Judah, here is your God. See, the sovereign Lord comes with power and he rules with a mighty arm. See, his reward is with him. And his recompense accompanies him. He tends his flock like a shepherd. He gathers the lambs in his arms. He carries them close to his heart. He gently leads those that have young. This is the glory of our Lord Jesus himself. In these verses, we have a reference to the specific revelation of God's word through the good news concerning Jesus. So many things are constantly changing. In fact, I was so impacted by the changes that have taken place over the last 50 years in my lifetime from 
modernism to postmodernism that I wrote a book about it. Somehow God inspired me to write this thing. I've never been a, you know, never thought I'd do anything like that. But anyway, in 2017, I, I put this book, which describes some of the changes, the cultural changes, why they exist from a philosophical point of view especially, and how that's impacted the church and Christians. Not for good in, in some ways, but for good in other ways. And so I've written about that, and I have some copies uh, at the, in the foyer for you if you're interested in that. I'm sure somebody will be there to give you more information. But uh, it's about um, uh, being, uh, uh, what is it, what is, what is uh, having a, an authentic Christian faith is the subtitle in postmodern times. How, how can we live for Christ in these, these crazy times in which we live? And why are they so crazy? This, is, this, this tries to explain some of that. <clears throat> but in any case, um, what doesn't change is the proclamation of God's reality and of his grace and kindness made known in Jesus Christ. He is the living word, the great shepherd for all who put their trust in him. And amidst all the pain and suffering that exists in our world, he invites us to proclaim Christ. Lift up your voice with a shout. Lift it up. Do not be afraid. Say to the towns of Judah, the cities of Canada and the world, to places like Tabor, Barnwell, Cranford, Vauxhall, Lethbridge, Medicine Hat, Calgary, Vancouver, Toronto, Montreal, the world, here is your God. What great news we have to bring. What a great calling we have to fulfill. And in these confusing times, we desperately need to be strengthened in our conviction that the gospel from God is what the whole world needs to hear. The story of God's plan in Christ to reconcile all things to himself. Well, it's a glory revealed in the word and in his son, but it's also magnificently revealed in his creation. And I don't know if I have time to read all these beautiful verses, but starting verse 12, who has measured the waters in the hollow of his hand or with the breath of his hand marked off the heavens? Who has held the dust of the earth in a basket or weighed the mountains on the scales and the hills in a balance? Who can fathom the spirit of the Lord and instruct the Lord as his counselor? Whom did the Lord consult to enlighten him? And who taught him the right way? Who was it that taught him knowledge or showed him the path of understanding? Surely the nations are like a drop in the bucket. They are regarded as dust on the scales. He weighs the islands as though they were fine dust. Lebanon is not sufficient for altar fires, nor its animals enough for burnt offerings. Before him all the nations are as nothing. They are regarded by him as worthless and less than nothing. With whom then will you compare God? To what image will you liken him? As for an idol, a metal worker casts it, and a goldsmith overlays it with gold and fashions silver chains for it. A person too poor to present such an offering selects the wood that will not rot. They look for a skilled worker to set up an idol that will not topple. Do you not know? Have you not heard? Has it not been told you from the beginning? Have you not understood since the earth was formed? He sits enthroned above the circle of the earth, and its people are like grasshoppers. He stretches out the heavens like a canopy and spreads them out like a tent to live in. He brings princes to naught and reduces the rulers of this world to nothing. 
No sooner are they planted, no sooner are they, saw, are they sown, no sooner do they take root in the ground, than he blows on them and they wither, and a whirlwind sweeps them away like chaff. To whom will you compare me? Or who is my equal, says the Holy One? Lift up your eyes and look to the heavens. Who created all these? He who brings out the starry host one by one and calls forth each of them by name. Because of his great power and mighty strength, not one of them is missing. Well, we need to be reminded often that he is bigger than any part of his universe. That his hand is large enough to contain all the oceans of the world. His mind knowledgeable enough to absolutely exclude any need for counsel or teaching from anyone. What a contrast to the puny, idolatrous images that we people create to replace this God of glory. And as for the nations and islands of the world, they are like a drop in the bucket, as dust on the scales, or less than nothing in comparison to his great glory. And the most glorious princes among them quickly wither and fade away, just as plants dry up and die when he blows his wind of judgment upon them. And as incredible as it sounds, though the stars seem numberless to us, he knows each one of them and calls them all by name. Each one in its appointed place, not one of them is missing. What an amazing description of the greatness of God's glory. If you ever wonder about God's power and ability, you would do well to come back often to Isaiah 40. Or just when you might think that the universe revolves around you or ourselves and our own opinions, we need to go back to Isaiah 40 to see again how small we really are in relation to God and his majesty. The majesty of God's glory in his creation in a mighty storm or even some natural disaster should have a humbling effect upon our lives. It should serve to make us realize how small we really are. But the real clincher in all that we're looking at here comes to us in the last part of this chapter with which I'm sure many of you are familiar. That the glory also extends, despite its greatness, in his willingness to stoop to the need of those who longingly and expectantly look for him for his health and strength. Why do you complain, Jacob? Why do, you, why, why do you say, Israel, my way is hidden from the Lord? My cause is disregarded by my God. Do you not know? Have you not heard? The Lord is the everlasting God, the creator of the ends of the earth. He will not grow weary or tired, and his understanding no one can fathom. He gives strength to the weary and increases the power of the weak. Even youths grow tired and weary. And young men stumble and fall. But those who hope in the Lord will renew their strength. They will soar on wings like eagles. They will run and not grow weary. They will walk and not faint. God is not so large and mighty that he does not also know the very smallest detail of each one's need. He who counts the stars and calls them all by name knows about Canada, about Alberta, about Tabor, 
and its evangelical free church. He knows about all the individual people who are a part of it. And surely the majesty of God, even though it is true that the nations uh, are as dust on the scale, is this to him. He brings all his power and grace to bear on the lives of those who put their hope in the Lord. Well, about 16 years ago, we were working for almost 20 years a pastoral ministry in Prince George when it came to a close, somewhat more abruptly, I might add, than we had expected. And it was not an easy transition for my wife, Carolyn, and me. Transitions for churches are one thing. There's something else for pastors often as well. And through a series of events following that, the Lord led to the idea of Second Wind Ministries. And uh, so I started, started actually an organization along that line for a while uh, called Second Wind. And initially its purpose was to help others in ministry with similar challenges to transition uh, to uh, uh, a new experience, similar to what we ourselves had experienced. But as I said earlier, in the almost last 16 years or so, Second Wind has meant working with churches to help them through their times of crisis and transition. Second Wind takes its name from the world of long-distance running, and something I used to enjoy in my younger years. And of course, it's the idea of breaking through some kind of uh, psychological barriers so that you're able to run with greater ease and joy in the latter part of the race. And if you know anything about running, you know that getting your second wind is an important element in that exercise. Second wind means finding new energy for life and service after feeling like you've stalled. It also alludes, of course, to the ministry of the Holy Spirit, whom we often discover after we come to the end of ourselves. And sooner or later, the idea of second wind, I believe, is an appropriate metaphor for all of us because no matter who we are, At one time or another, we all stall. We all hit some kind of wall. Things happen. Discouragements come. Life turns sour or we hit a rogue wave. And sadly, too often such experiences become the means to spiritual, serious spiritual setback and loss. There are many spiritual casualties because of these things, but it needn't be. Second wind is also about recovery. And resilience in such circumstances, no matter how dark the path, no matter how deep our fall, there's always hope for new grace from God for our lives, if we want it. You remember Corey Ten Boom, who said, No pit is so deep, but that the God's love and grace are not deeper still. I love that. How does that happen? Well, it happens, I think, as we get our eyes back on the greatness of God, And what a personal relationship with him is really all about. We get our second win when we've exhausted our own store of resources. It may be that you feel like you've hit a wall. The passage this morning is a reminder that those who get their eyes back on him are the ones who gain a sense of perspective on reality and their own lives. It is those who as little children longingly and expectantly look up onto his face that will experience that resilience we've been thinking about. They will get, they are the ones who will 
soar on wings like eagles, who will get their second wind to run and not grow tired, to walk even in the midst of pain and not get discouraged. So, though the way sometimes looks dark, we have every reason to hope, to think good things of the future, to get ready for a new day of God's grace and glory in our lives, in our church, and in our community. And as I come to you to share in this time, I know I will only be as good as I personally experience what I'm talking about here. And so I'm looking very much to the Lord these days for that. So I hope and pray this morning that whatever your situation is in your life or the challenges that lie before you, even as a church, you will be encouraged to know that God's grace is still as rich and accessible as it ever was. You know, sometimes I've found God allows circumstances to arise in our lives that push us to take a step back and to see the larger picture of what he wants to do. And so it has been for us. I remember a time in which I, and we felt just overwhelmed by what had happened. But God used that time, I think, to take us deeper into himself, to see our lives from a different perspective and to become more of what he wants us to be. For example, you know, I used to read the Bible through every year. And I did that for about 40 years. And it was a wonderful experience. I was taught to get into the Word through the Navigators, which is another part of my life I didn't mention. But And then when this happened, I realized that God wanted me to do more than just read the Bible. He wanted me to know the God of the Bible. And so I started to read it in really, really small sections and concentrate, sometimes three or four mornings or days on one passage just to absorb what that passage was saying. And, and so this is, this is the process that has been going on in my own experience. Sometimes I think God allows things to happen in our lives in order to give us a new perspective through seeing the greatness of his glory. And so no doubt it is with your church in this time as well. To be an even more fruitful church in the future, as no doubt you know, God has been asking you in this time to take a step back, to try and see the bigger picture of who he is and what he has in mind for you in these days. And it's, it's complex and yet it's simple. Uh, That God's greatness has been revealed to us in the natural world, of course, in his word, and especially in his son, Jesus Christ. And as a result, hopefully, you will be encouraged to open your heart to him in new ways, enabling you to more fully understand his plan and purpose for you in these critical, critical days in which we live. I know, you know, I've often said it, These are hard times for the church in many ways. Church has been under a lot of pressure. There's a lot of negative stuff going on in relation to the church. So what are we going to do with that? Just step back and sort of uh, step back into a corner? Or are we going to rise to the occasion and say, God, what are you going to do in and through us in these crazy days in which we live? And so I'd like to offer a prayer, but also to invite you to join me in this prayer 
and I'll read it for you first, and then uh, I actually want you to consider praying it with me. Uh, It begins like this, Father in heaven, what can we say in the light of your great glory? Like Job, we are forever silenced by your words and the revelation of your great power and majesty. Forgive us for our idolatries, for being preoccupied with lesser things than your great glory. We confess that we are often confused and perplexed by the events and processes of our lives. And in our consternation, we easily lose sight of you and your greatness. And instead of being great bright lights of your glory, we become shadows that hide your face. Forgive us, Lord. Today, once again, in the depth of your word, we see your glory. Yes, in the world you've made, but especially in your son. Thank you for the revelation of your glory. Grant us the grace to open our hearts to the glory of your word, your spirit, your son, rather, Jesus Christ, and also to serve your kingdom because of it. In Jesus' name, amen. Isn't that an appropriate prayer? Would you consider standing with me to share that prayer together? Don't feel compelled to pray this, but if you would, pray it out loud uh, if you desire, if it represents the, the response of your own heart this morning. Father in heaven, what can we say in the light of your great glory? Like Job, we are forever silenced by your words and the revelation of your great power and majesty. Forgive us for our idolatries, for being preoccupied with lesser things than your great glory. We confess that we are often confused and perplexed by the events and of our lives. And in our consternation, we easily lose sight of you and your greatness. And instead of being bright lights of your glory, we become shadows that hide your face. Forgive us, Lord. Today, once again, in the depth of your word, we see your glory. Yes, in the world you have made, but especially in your Son. Thank you for the revelation of your great glory Grant us the grace to open our hearts to the glory of your word and your son, Jesus Christ, and to serve your kingdom because of it. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Please remain standing as we prepare for our final song. The love of God.